Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, August 10th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topics in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Isabel Dances. And I'm Addison Colombo. Here's What's What in New York. Three former New York politicians are expected to testify this month. That's right, Madison. Former President Trump is in New York City today to testify about real estate dealings. And oral arguments are taking place in the city this afternoon for Brian Benjamin, who served as the state's lieutenant governor from September 2021 through April of this year. And later this month, former mayor of New York Rudy Giuliani will also be in court to discuss misconduct and rumors about the 2020 election results. Let's begin with President Trump. It all started when New York Attorney General Letitia James started investigating Trump's real estate dealings. The Trump Organization allegedly misled lenders they would invest and exaggerated the value of properties for tax write-offs. Trump is appearing in court today, but has enacted his Fifth Amendment rights and will not answer questions in the probe. Now, onto the former lieutenant governor. Benjamin is on trial for bribery, wire fraud, and falsification of records. He's accused of using his position as state senator to get campaign funds. He allegedly took campaign donations from a real estate broker in exchange for funneling state funds into the broker's nonprofit. Finally, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani was supposed to appear in court in Georgia yesterday, but missed the appearance due to health issues. He'll be asked to talk about alleged illegal misconduct during the 2020 election and his involvement in election conspiracies related to supposed voter fraud in Georgia. The MTA released environmental projections and possible costs for New York City's new congestion pricing plans this morning. Drivers could face tolls ranging from 9 to $23 when entering the city during peak hours. While these prices aren't confirmed, they do give New Yorkers an insight into how the plan could impact their wallets. The report also mentioned the environmental benefits of the plan. The study found that pollution would drop 11% in Midtown and Lower Manhattan, 9% in Upper Manhattan, and 3% in surrounding areas. The plan is facing backlash from some New Yorkers who say this could unfairly impact low-income commuters who have no choice but to drive into the city. Drivers aren't the only ones upset with the MTA right now either. Protesters posted up in Hell's Kitchen today holding signs and demanding they receive a stop on the 7 train. The 7 was once going to have a Hell's Kitchen stop, but it got scrapped due to budget cuts. Protesters say the stop would be frequently used and is a necessary addition for the community. The MTA is considering building a Hell's Kitchen 7 stop between 2025 and 2029, but the residents want it sooner. Chipotle is going to have to pay around 13,000 employees in a $20 million workplace settlement, according to Mayor Adams. This settlement comes after Chipotle violated New York City's paid, safe, and sick leave law, which went into effect in 2017. They broke the law by not releasing the work schedule with 14 days notice and making their employees work extra hours without written consent. Additionally, Chipotle didn't give the employees paid sick leave. The employees' union filed complaints against the company. The settlement is the largest workweek settlement in the U.S. and the largest worker protection settlement in the city. Any person who works at Chipotle hourly has the right to $50 per week for each week worked between November 26, 2017 and April 30th of this year. Now for a story that's a little unconventional. A local business on Long Island is being protested for its less-than-average employees, sloths. That's right. Sloth Encounters LI provides customers with the chance to hold and meet real sloths, but some animal advocates are not happy. They say the business gives the wrong message about domesticating these animals. However, the owner says that the facility is safe, and comfortable for the creatures, and that it is a place to educate people on the wildlife. Advocates have been bringing up warrants and past USDA and fire code violations in hopes of shutting the business down. While the owner has complied with all the requests, one permit remains out of order, 
and Southland Counter LI has one month to get it, or else they might wind up in court. The business isn't without fans, though, and a petition with 200 signatures has been going around to save the facility. This week, Fordham Conversations host David Escobar sits down with the cast and producers of a new play that uses comedy to teach us how to live through a global catastrophe. I'm just curious if you could give me like a brief overview of like where the idea came from and also just a little bit about like the general plot. It's a satire uh, about the stock market crash of 1929, but then we sort of move into an alternate history. So FDR does not get elected in this play. There is no New Deal. Um, There is no World War II. Um, And we see this kind of group of friends try to navigate these global events in the best way they know how, which feels really, you know, resonant to us right now as we in this society are also trying to do the same. I think sometimes, like you're saying, with plays like this, you want to make it in a way that people can really like go home with something. And I think one of the ways that a play like this can really resonate with people is by making them laugh and drawing them in and really giving them something to think about. How did everyone that like was involved in this play bring humor into the equation when something like a financial crisis is so serious? I think of this play as almost like a guidebook for being working class while living through global catastrophe. I think that, you know, when we started working on this play, some people understood that more than others when we we developed it many over many years. After it, you know, we'd often be like, oh, well, like, the, the, you know, a lot of sort of like, does it, does this apply to me? Like, I, I don't really see where I am in this. And I think that at the point that we're at now, um, three years after that, I don't think anybody like is is working on the play, watching the play being like, oh, what what is this about? And that, that's a really sad thing to experience, but it's also like, you know, why we made this in the first place. It's just, we, we were, we were really talking about something that we were feeling acutely. It's also just why you make stuff in the first place to share your feelings, hoping that somebody actually will, will also kind of meet you there. I think too, the one other thing, because I know when we talk about the play, it sounds like really depressing. The comedy is the point too. That like it is meant to be a joke because we don't think that there's a way to talk about this purely seriously and have it mean the same thing. I think if it isn't, you know, if if it isn't the the kind of like wild comic stylings that are being put up there, you know, it would almost be too brutal to even discuss. That was Fordham Conversations host David Escobar talking with the Fordham alumni involved in the new play, The Panic of 29. Fordham Conversations taps into the Fordham University community to discuss issues that impact our world. Influential songwriter Lamont Dozier died at 81 on Monday at his home in Arizona. Dozier, born in Detroit, was known for working with musicians like The Supremes, The Four Tops, and Marvin Gaye. We owe him for hits like Stop With The Name Of Love, You Keep Me Hanging On, and this next one, Baby Love, sung by The Supremes. He was most influential in the realm of Motown, but has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriter Hall of Fame, and even the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
And now on to another story about a great taken too soon. The trial into photographs taken by first responders at the site of Kobe Bryant's helicopter crash started today. Bryant's wife Vanessa is suing the Los Angeles County Sheriff and Fire Departments on grounds that the photos they took were not for practical purposes, but instead shown to bar patrons and off-duty colleagues. The county is arguing that Bryant has endured emotional trauma from the deaths, not the pictures. They are also citing that the pictures have been deleted and never circulated publicly online as a defense. Since the crash, a law has been put in place that makes taking unauthorized photos at the scene of a crime or accident illegal. The two other families involved in the crash had similar cases involving photos taken at the scene. They settled their cases and the county has agreed to pay them $2.5 million. Bryant did not take that settlement. Now, we continue in the world of sports with football. Bad news for the Jets today as their right tackle suffers a season-ending knee injury. Makai Becton hurt his knee at practice Monday afternoon and has injured his already surgically repaired right knee. Becton only just returned after sitting out his 2021 season due to a similar injury. Since the start of the season, Coach Robert Sala has consistently praised Becton for how hard he's fought to return from the injury. Now Sala had this to say about the upset. We love Makai. We appreciate everything he's done. And his ride is not over. His story's not over. After Becton received MRIs and consultations over the past few days, Sala said publicly that Becton's 2022 season is likely over, but hopefully not his career with the Jets. And that's our show for today. I'm Madison Colombo. And I'm Isabel Danzis. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.